Yeah, welcome to part two, Dre. This is uh, this is like part two of seven, or <laughs> you know, I was asking myself that question too because who who, who knows how how thorough we go along? It's <laughs> it's interesting to review. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, it it is, and I've I've um, I have some uh, some ideas. Like say, I mean, like we went sort of chronologically, but obviously we started um late in your life if you think about it right like how old were you in 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 87 or something 85 87 like 25 or 25 yeah 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 so and there's there's so there's 25 years before that if... <laughs> hey, hey how's my black eye how's it look looks okay it's not too bad uh, i was hoping for just a little more action <laughs> Have you been fighting too hard? Yeah, I have been fighting. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, you know what? I realized that that uh, it, it, it may even be off topic now, but I've shown you everything except for the first war guitar. I'm going to start back here, so you're going to think it's not very big. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I know that instrument. It's that's unbelievable. Like. Like the headstock itself is half the length of the of the fretboard. The headstock <laughs> is fourteen inches long, <laughs> and then Mark's idea was um, this is the first one he sent Frank Jolliffe and I. We, we he sent us both ones at the same time, and when it arrived, I thought a Fender Rhodes had arrived because the case looked like a Fender Rhodes would fit in it, mm -hmm. uh, and the idea was. Um, uh, uh, well, he said banjo style bridge, but the bridge is kind of in the middle of the mass. Mm -hmm. So this is eight inches long, mm. uh, which we obviously, we, we killed it because, um, now they're, they're, they're just like yours, right? Yours are right at the, right at the edge, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, yours may even be closer than mine. Um, yeah. And the, but the thing about this one, and it was also a 12 string, which I realized pretty quickly, like, holy shit, that's too much. Um, yeah. But these were the first Bartolinas he got wound. And um, the bass sound is incredible, but it's almost, it's almost unplayable. Yeah. You know, we went back and we went back and revisited this when he was, um, I felt like he was making the instruments along the way and we were losing um, some of the bass. So we're like, let's go back and visit this one. And he discovered that Bill had done something different in the pickups. And I even took this to Bill and he analyzed it. But the mass is just so, I mean, it is so massive. Uh, yeah. You're talking about Bill Bartolini or? Yeah. 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 And yeah, uh, you, know, you know, Bill Bartolini, he made the, the pickups for, for the first U8 instruments. Right. And, and, you know, like he's like that sort of like, like magician where there's, and he doesn't really kind of like take proper notes of what he actually did. Yeah. So. That's why, that's why he wanted, that's why when I was on the road with the, the Trey gun band, um, Mark said, why don't you take that instrument with you? And when you go through, um, you know, whatever it is, the jet propulsion lab area of California, stop in at bill and he'll, 
he'll analyze and it was it was a little bit like going into tony arnold's studio i don't know if you ever met tony arnold but um, he was robert's engineer who was old school uh, uh fritz engineer old school he made, he did the three of the perfect pair record in the sunday all over the world and he was trained at the bbc as an engineer where they wore lab coats and had a calculator and um you know you go into his studio and there's just electrical shit hanging everywhere you feel like you're going to get electrocuted at any moment and so barty laney's place was a little bit like that uh, mm -hmm. cool but i don't think uh i think they is he even still they're still making pickups right i don't know we i don't think mark stopped using mark started winding them themselves and you probably do the same thing right yeah you know i i think even 10 years ago or so, there was already talk of, of, of Bill being too old. And they kind of like, I, I remember um, Ed Reynolds, the guy who worked with on the on the U8 instruments saying that um, they are trying to find a way to file all the designs and, you know, oh, all the it was kind of in head, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. but I, 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 to be honest, I don't know whether, you know, what the status is right now. But yeah. their their pickups are are great. I mean, they they don't at least the ones that I have. They have this really incredible uh, warmth to it, and they work perfectly yeah. for the touch yeah. instrument. But they also sound like compared to um, modern pickups, they sound like really old in a way. Right. But I like I like that. Yeah. And Mark was always trying to explain to me how it. It can be the preamp. So I think in the later ones, he's, he used a different preamp, but still used the Bardellini. But then eventually they went to, to something else. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's kind of where my... I have a lot of knowledge about a lot of things, but that's where I leave off in terms hey, of do, electronics. Do you remember um, the, the first, well, probably not the first, or first or second uh, instrument that Frank Jolliffe had? Which where the lower horn was like a big penis, like kind yeah. of like really long. Remember that yeah. one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that was uh, you know this is where I think it's really fascinating, and and you 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 probably know more than me was that Mark would he would discuss with you like um, the kind of sounds you liked, and then it was all about the combination of wood, and then the horn made like a big deal about it, so. Uh, he would use the horn to make up mass elsewhere, but uh, yeah, I didn't have one of those. The horny horn. Yeah, <laughs> Frank had the horny horn. You know, there's. Uh, not sure if I ever told you, or I don't think I ever told anybody else. But when I had the the prototype of the U8, which was my design, the first thing I did was I call, I called Mark um, and asked him if he would want to build it sort of an option an extra when was model. this do you remember 2007 so he, he right. must have already been uh, yeah. very sick yeah. and didn't I, I can't remember how well maybe i sent him an email asking him and then he didn't respond to anything. so yeah, yeah. So, and, and and but but just to just to kind of like clarify or say that like it was it was never never really the idea to uh to come up with more than the design, really initially. Right. But right. then, once I once I played that instrument, I realized, holy shit, this is something else, right? Not really something else, you know. It's not not a version tweaked, of the wall guitar. You tweaked it even more, right? After that. Oh yeah. yeah we, we, Did we, you already we, have the cutout in the back? Yes, the cutout in the back was like one of the very first ideas I had, 
Um, and which makes a huge difference. I made the mistake on the Devon Townsend tour. I took two of the standard instruments, which don't have the cutout. Oh. And like, like I'm, I'm using actually using my right foot for the pedals. Oh, and, and then you're all. Yeah, it really, it really, um, <laughs> it makes a big difference. You know, that cutout. Yeah. But, you know, anyway, it's. Um, it's By the way, speaking of speaking of right foot in the pedals. Uh, I've been going to a chiropractor for the last couple of years, and he's like, "What's up with your right hip? It's like all out of whack." And I was like, "Probably from standing on my left foot and using the pedals on the right for so many decades." Yes. So now I have a little, I have a little adjustment in my shoe to try to get my hip back in order. <laughs> uh, interesting, because I, I also have, um, I, I can feel my hips too. Mm, yeah, especially yeah. the right one. Yeah. 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 And then and then it's pulling on. I mean, your instrument isn't isn't as heavy as the ones oh. we used to play, but yeah. still it's still something, you know, on your shoulder. And yeah. I've I've never found that to be a problem uh, personally. Um I think what you need to develop the um it's the, the integrity in, 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 you need to develop the integrity. Yeah, it's the neck thing. Like if the neck thing, if you don't look down, um it works to wear it here. It's like it's like a handbag, right? kind of it's not much heavier than like a handbag i would say <laughs> but anyway hey so so um last friday we stopped at um like the mid in the mid 90s i think and um so there are like two major things that happened there as far as i i'm concerned which is like your your second so proper solo album let's say which was then uh, a war guitar album Right. Um, and uh, Crimson, um, the Thrak tours, let's say, right, which went into like '96, I guess, maybe '95, '96. I think so. And you know, actually, something's bothering me here. Hold on. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's silly, but this pole is like. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can you can still see it though. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, I was trying to think through the timeline a little bit about when the war guitar, because the Thrak record was recorded with the stick, mm -hmm. but the, the tour market already made us that instrument. And we, we, um, I mean, it was pretty miraculous. He sent Frank and I that and we we're like, oh my God, I, 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 this is like, he's like, no, 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 don't worry. Just make a list of everything that you want to improve and send it to me. So we, we both made like two pages of move the uh the fret markers to here cut down the, the the weight you know adjust all these little things move the knobs here and then like two weeks later we both got new instruments mm -hmm. and then that was what i used on the the thrack tour you know i think i had both instruments because i can remember we played we played uh we played it um the Royal Albert Hall was the end of the Thrak tour or something. And David Sylvian came, came to the show and he thought the instrument was the most ridiculous thing he had ever seen. <laughs> he thought the stick was so awesome and clean and cool. And I had this thing that looked like I was a, <laughs> I, I was in a jousting match. Um, so it still had a ways to go, but uh, eventually, it, eventually it worked out. Yeah, I, I saw you guys in Düsseldorf on that tour, and you definitely had the the, I guess the twelve string the giant one. Yeah, the maybe one. maybe Frank didn't. Uh, he hadn't gotten that 
the, the new one to us yet or something. I don't remember. Yeah. When I met Frank um, for the first time, that was, that was in uh, summer 93. He was still playing stick. Right. And then I guess like 94 or 95, he must have uh, started using the war guitar. Yeah. Because yeah, he, yeah. he came, he, he was uh, back then, he was one of the main teachers at Daniel Shell's seminar, which mm -hmm. was still called Stick Seminar back mm -hmm. then. I think it must have been 94 when he bought the war guitar for the first time. Right, right. And we wouldn't even, we wouldn't even have probably gone for it if I hadn't gotten a call from Randy Strong who said, look, just order one. If you don't like it, I'll buy it as a spare because Randy had the first one. And I remember saying it with Randy. I thought, man, I'm so used to the stick and like the, 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 the like, you know what? I, I don't know, but, uh, mm -hmm. but we were, we were sold and just Mark's, um, responsiveness to our our needs as a player and just how he listened yeah, yeah. Which, which is very clever right like knowing a little bit about about how Emmett uh runs like the creative side of things let's say uh versus um mark or like other luthiers that i work with it's it's really a big topic of what, what, like what we talked about last week was that nobody really knew back then how this instrument is actually being played. So that's right. what, what was I, I think. What, yeah, was the, that, what the possibilities would open to? Yeah, and that's and I think that's why like feedback from a wide range of people kind of was was absolutely crucial to actually get the instrument into into a place where it's where it, where it works right and i i still think like of these like of these early instruments like the eight string the tsg8 like the, the one that uh i you know that we both had like the sister instruments i think those are still the the the, the best ones i know you don't like the bass sounds much but obviously it's not as you know because it's smaller but um i think that is for sort of like really was the first instrument that was really uh, very good. It, it, it was clearly an evolution to to something rather than away from something. Yeah, I think. yeah. You know, and still, like, like when people ask me what's the difference between the war guitar and the U8, and I say, well, it's really that the U8 feels more like a compact uh, baritone mm. guitar, and the war guitar is even like the smallest of the war guitar still feels like a bass, right? Also in the way that it responds mm -hmm. and. Um, and that's that's sort of like the way that I would I've still probably yeah that's probably even, makes sense yeah the, the yeah. tone kind of blossoms the, the maybe even the tone is a little slower coming out of it or something yeah yeah you know it's 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 interesting like how how much of what you know even before we become aware of what uh, production factor the instrument itself as we kind of learn about compressors and EQ like uh, as a post as a post production of a sound right or you know like turning knobs on your amp but really the instrument itself has all, has, of, has all of that in in it already right and especially the fact of compression is something that I I learned much later really only when starting to build you know having at Reynolds built the U8 with me was that um um, what made the, for me, what made the war guitar great, but at the same time, a little bit limited was the fact that it did have that almost like pre-compressed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like pre-produced, -pre almost pre-produced sound to it. 
which mm -hmm. which which I liked, and you know, I, I you know, but I wanted something that is just like like even more responsive and more traditionally guitar, not bass, right? Right, right. And right. That, that was sort of like my approach. And and now it's kind of like evened out a little bit, like with all the years of research, you know, with the the bass and stuff. And so much is dependent on the strings. Uh, also yeah. on the tuning, like having the like you you still don't have the the low B flat. You still have a low C right in the middle. A low C, yeah. yeah. And I don't I don't I think I'm gonna get weaned away from that um, when I get horizontal made. But I don't know. I think I, I I think I'm only going to get weaned away from it when I go to a a, a fan fretboard, which means not a stereo instrument. Um, yeah. And yeah. you know the yeah. the compression thing. I didn't know anything about it till Mark mentioned to me once, pretty late on in our in our working relationship. About um, he said something about it may be the winge or the babinga. I can't remember, but he's like you put strips of this in and it adds compression in the in the mid range. I was like. Holy shit! Are you kidding me? He's like, yeah, that's how we put it in there. So I was like, what if you don't want that? You know, we're like, how do you? It's such a it's such a piece of alchemy and such a commitment because you 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 probably don't know what you're going to get until you finish the instrument, right? There's this 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 magic that that at rails that with the with the wood, you know, like he had the blank, the body blanks, and he was he was showing me how he was like he said, okay, you can get some idea. How the instrument will sound if you like knock on the wood, and he showed me like also like the, like the consistency of the sound of the of the of the body blank, right? Like putting then, a drop kind of a thing. Yeah, exactly. And and then the funny thing is, and said and he said, Marcus, now I'm going to show you what the treble is going to sound like. And he started just rubbing the surface of the wood, you know, with his fingers, getting like a amazing i still get goosebumps like i don't know <laughs> he did that <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. but but it's um there's truth to it but you do do need the experience to kind of like you need to experience the the translation from the blank piece of wood to the instrument and you need to yeah. do that many times yeah. until you until you understand like you know what you're getting out of a certain piece of wood and, uh, right Right, right, and, and and picking picking the wood and uh, storing the wood, drying the wood, and all of that. That's all sort of like a big, big science. And well, not a science; it's an art. Right? Yeah, no, it's um, yeah. So um, crimson and um, the third star was the yeah. So the third star must have been it had to have been after Thrak because it was. Um, but I don't know. Do you know? It, 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 well, it was after the Thrak album, yeah, definitely. But uh, because I, because yeah, because it was all it was all war guitar except for one track that Bob and I had made years earlier uh, mm -hmm. that was on on the stick, and we had recorded on his eight track, and that's the only mm -hmm. thing on the record that's that stick. Hey, before before I forget, some other question. Like, um, I really love and like love the Room EP. I think mm. that's that's really like the ultimate sound of that band to me, um, even though it was just the EP before the album, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so how do you feel about that? Like the transition, like the sound that that the Thrack album has. Like looking um, back, um, I don't think about it too much, but I do remember at the time uh, feeling like. Um, so the Vroom 
EP was recorded before we did any shows, and the track record was recorded right after we were uh, did a month of, month in Argentina. Mm-hmm. And we, I think we played 18 shows down there. Mm-hmm. So uh, I felt like um, a couple of the tunes, and I have to remember, there's not much on Vroom. There's Sex, Sleep, Eat, Drink, Dream. Uh, there's Vroom. Vroom, that's Thrack. Thrack. Well, uh, it, Cage, Cage is on it. Yeah, Cage. Um, uh, the I felt like um, Sex, Sleep, Eat, Drink, Dream, we might have changed the tempo as an improvement after playing the shows in Argentina. I think we might have mm-hmm. bumped. The, the, the tempos tend to pick up, it, unless you're working to a grid and drum machines, but we weren't back then. Um, they tend to kind of, I don't know, the song just gets more life once you play it live. But I always, I really do have kind of an affection for that first version of Room. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there was kind of just a wild, a bit of a wildness to the whole recording with the, the um, you know, we were all in the same room. We were at uh, Applehead, which I think it was, I don't know if Jerry was running or Frazzo was running it at the time. I can't remember. But Bottrell came, David Bottrell was there and mm-hmm. we kind of, he cobbled together a studio and, um, I don't even remember if Robert told us we were making a record or not. I really don't remember, but uh, you know, we had like three or three tunes and it was just kind of wild because the Pat and Bill were right there in the room with us. Mm -hmm. And it's not a wide room, you know, it's like as wide as my basement, but, but a little bit longer. So um, there was just this kind of, and also what happened too, when we arrived, um, I believe it was this session, Adrian had shipped over his, um, his rig that he had, like his ultimate rig that he had built uh, for the David Bowie tour that he had just done. Um, I don't know if it was called Young Lions or something, that, that last tour he did with Bowie. And he had this giant, like super old school, like five foot tall rig with the, you know, the top was cut off so that there was stuff that angled and, and it arrived and everything was broken. Oh. <laughs> So I can't even remember what he did, but he just like rebuilt his rig right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was, I, I felt like there was just kind of a wildness to the whole thing um, that probably by the time we got to making Thrack, you know, we were all, I think we were all in our own rooms, you know, like each drummer had their own room and Pat was in the, Pat was in the room in real world where the the, the water flows underneath the, there's like glass floor and Bill was in a, Bill was maybe upstairs in another room. And then Tony was back here and, and, you know, we were all on headphones and it was the old days where you couldn't, um, couldn't do your own monitor mix. So I didn't really know what the hell was going on, but we had played, we, we, we played, um, we had performed so much that there wasn't really much to do. We, we, we pretty much recorded the whole record in a week and then there were some overdubs and that was it. So at least it was fast, you know, it was fast. Mm-hmm. 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 but it was a different it was a totally different kind of experience yeah yeah and i yeah. think i i think i was really happy that um you know we had done all this talk about the double trio but really we were playing as a six piece so i kept lobbying for us to do um uh, 
do at least a mix of, of one of the tunes and, and it ended up being Vroom where we actually hard panned the band. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And is that the one on the Thrack record? It must yeah, be. Yeah, it is. It is. Which, yeah. is, which is pretty radical considering that was the big Virgin record and you maybe wanted to be a little more, well, conservative crimson is pretty, it's still pretty over the top, but um, yeah. So yeah, that was, that was a radical thing. I And I remember that I listened to individual trios by panning you know yeah. my, my stereo system i don't know if it's better, better but i but i liked i liked that we at least did it yeah no no i think um but but it makes sense um that for room you guys were in a room because like the, the mix just gels so much better yeah There's, there was no there's no repairing anything you know um yeah. yeah and we did some overdubs uh i remember robert and i doing some overdubs on the the thrap chords but that was probably, you know, that yeah. was probably it. And some, a lot of stuff was written just at the last minute. I mean, I think the, the, um, the funny thing about Vroom was that, you know, Tony has that beautiful fretless bass melody in the, in what mm -hmm. we call the gray finger sections. And prior to that, I, I just was kind of playing long tones. And so every day we'd go into rehearsal and Tony would say, I'm writing something for that. I just haven't gotten to it yet. And then the next day I, I'm really sorry, guys. I haven't I haven't gotten to it, but I but I have an idea, and I'll, and then like I think the day before we recorded it, he showed up with the whole fucking thing written up. It's like holy shit, mm -hmm. that's awesome. It, it, and it's one one little tidbit in the Thrack record, which is kind of my primo Tony moment, which was when they we recorded that. Tony was unhappy with the tuning, on the uh. The tuning of the fretless bass in the fairy finger section and of the room tune on the thrack record at real world and uh you know i play fretted instruments so i just play the note that i can play and <laughs> um i didn't really hear much and so he got in there and he said oh you know what let's isolate robert's track listening to that i'm gonna isolate adrian's track listen to that and he picked up that like maybe Robert's chorus or something was different than Adrian's slightly. And he didn't even change the mix. He's mix. He just, he realized what it was. And then he did one more pass and it was perfectly in tune. <laughs> <Not a> fucker. <laughs> I don't even know what he did, but he just, you know, he heard something in there that was just a, you know, just a little out. And yeah. So. Incredible. And that's, that's such a great melody. It's, it's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah, so beautiful and and kind of unlikely an unlikely part. Like, how do you come up with this? With it almost could. It almost could not work. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was really happy to be able to uh, uh, when we went to the four piece. I played it on my fretless, and whew, a couple of nights I got totally lost. And boy, it sounds pretty bad when you when you aren't making the changes right. But eventually, I got it sorted out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. So um, the third star must have been ninety five, ninety six. Yeah, I think it, I think it came out ninety six, probably. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, pretty pretty yeah. radical change of sound and style, I would say. Um, like the the. Obviously, the sound of the war guitar plays a big role in that, like a much more professional sounding, less experimental sound, let's say, coming from yeah. 
yeah, constraints. Yeah. And and more ways of ways more ways of articulate more better or not better, more ways of, to articulate the sounds. Yeah, yeah. I, I probably I probably did. I probably tried everything that I still do. Actually, there's a few things that I weren't wasn't doing at the time, but there's a lot of ways of playing that pretty much like those are still the things that I do. Yeah, yeah, like this, like the uh, staccato, like proper staccato playing, yeah. uh, the, the muting, playing on the frets, um, that kind of stuff, and uh, yeah, and a fair bit of um, uh, uh, probably more. You know, I probably didn't do any of it on the first record, but more of that um, uh, pull off on one string with all the hands kind of a thing. Yeah. There's, mm -hmm. there's yeah. a fair bit of that that's yeah. still largely unexplored, I think. Um, and it was recorded, I was living in New Mexico at the time. Um, and it was a more uh, uh, co collaborative. So Bob Muller played on a few tracks. I got some drums from Pat. Uh, I had three different female vocalists that I kind of co-wrote tunes with. Mm -hmm. and then kind of sewed it all together and then david bottrell mixed it. he came out to new mexico and i took him skiing for the week and then we went up to San, went down to santa fe and um mixed it all there and so that that um you know that just kind of puts a uh, uh i don't know what it just kind of wraps it in the whole in the same kind of glow and mold having him yeah yeah uh, do his thing you know i think we i think we rinse it in a, a an ssl compressor to run it all through and i mean it's probably pretty um it's probably pretty rudimentary for him at that point but for me it was like okay now we're we got we got all the tools <laughs> you know let's 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 put it together yeah hey so the um uh this couple of records that um you worked with David, uh, which was the Tony Childs album, and also like the um, the Indian mandolin player. Like yeah, uh, uh, Michael. That's that right. was Michael. That was Michael Brook doing that. Train of us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Both of those were. Um, I I I went to. Um, I went went to Real World. I want to say three times, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was only two times. But every time I went, um, no, it was three times because even when we rehearsed, uh, I can't even remember when I did the Shrina Boss thing. It might have been when I when when we were auditioning for Sylvian Fripp because mm -hmm. I played the stick on that record. That's right. So every time I, the thing about Real World is that, and and I miss the vibe so much. Um, I don't know if you've ever been there. Have you been there? Or? No. Yes, the, the it's the ideal situation because there's like not that many studios. There's like three studios, and then a little Quonset hut where Michael was working, and then Peter has his little writing room upstairs. But um, the dining room is communal, mm -hmm. and there's just food laid out in buffet style, and so whatever's going on, everybody kind of there's like this hangout zone. So there's a, this beautiful cross pollination that we just don't experience anymore. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and so every time I've been there, well, I ended up playing on somebody else's record. And, and 
Uh, actually, you know what? I think I was playing on the Tony Childs record when um, when Michael asked me to come over to his Quonset hut and, and play on the, the Srinivas record. And he didn't even really let me do much. I think he only let me do one pass. And mm -hmm. I was like, I can do another. He's like, no, that's it. Go away. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that all kind of happened on the stick. Yes. Uh, I remember now, Michael, uh, uh, David brought me over for another record he was working on with an artist called David Rice. And when I was there that time, Michael Brook was there working with Nusrat Fatih Ali Khan on, a, on their second record. So Nusrat was there, and that was pretty intense to like be having there wasn't really anybody else in the studio. We'd go to go to lunch and there's Nusrat and his manager down in the other room. And Nusrat for me is, uh, there's really nobody, nobody above Nusrat that I've ever met or heard. <laughs> so that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, uh, the Tony Childs record, I, I think is pretty special. It's, it's and because, uh, because of Bottrell, it really is. Yeah. And, and, and also, I mean, it was at Real World, and she was just grabbing, you know, Ayu Bogato's here, come in and play the Cora. Oh, you know, can you, Peter, can you come in and do a backing vocal? Oh, you know, they were there so long that they just, they just kind of absorbed the, the atmosphere. But yeah, Bottrell really, really uh, pulled it together for that session. It's, it really is kind of sad that this kind of um, communal studio experience is so rare these days it, it's probably over unless somebody some people figure out another way to to, to organize community around yeah yeah you know um leonardo pavkovich he's been doing this what he calls la casa murada which is the name of the studio in spain and um he uh, used to organize a meeting every once per year and invite like five to ten musicians mm. and um but it's it's different because the purpose is to come together and like you know it's not like you have projects that actually are working and then you sort yeah. of yeah so no, it's, it's, it's a little bit different right? yeah it's different because everybody's um all the pressure is on the same uh project whereas what's cool what was cool about real world everybody's got their pressure on their own project and then the cross-pollination is just free and no pressure yeah uh so it, it's pretty cool Eh, maybe it'll happen again. It'll probably take, you know, it'll probably take somebody like Elon Musk to build a complex. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll all play on Grimes' new NFT. <laughs> um, so, rack tour, and then like, like, like more solo, like solo records. Um, um, and then the projects already started happening yeah. behind seven, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And and as far as I remember, that that there was a King Crimson rehearsal. Uh, I can't remember where it was now, but um, there it was, was in Nashville, SIR yeah. in Nashville. Yeah. yeah, and and that was sort of like the last time the six of you kind of like got together, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I there was some kind of breakdown there. I don't really know what happened, but something between Robert and Bill, and uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, just just musically, it's it's interesting because it's sort of like the crossover between the 
the themes used for the constructional light and also for the projects, the, the written stuff, right? The motifs and yeah. uh, and yeah. sort of like the sound of the of the of the six piece. So it was uh, kind of yeah, I can't, I can't remember um, actually how those. I mean, I know as the projects went on, the, the motifs were getting more developed. I don't remember when they started, if they were already starting before that, that, that final crimson uh, rehearsal, they must've been, um, um, you know, I was always in touch with Robert and there were always kind of notes going back and forth, but it seemed like they really took off with, with, um, with the projects where, um, not really the, I'd have to listen to project one again. Um, not really so much with project one because we didn't talk about anything. And we, we kind of had this funny agreement that Tony seemed to be running, you know, Tony seemed to be like uh, being the policeman about running. Let's not ever, we're going to set up for one day and try our gear, but we're not ever going to all four of us play together at the same time. And then, then we do the shows the next day. Um, so that's what we did. And then, um, I can't even remember if we had a, any kind of game plan for the Project One shows or not. But even if we did, once we went on stage, we pretty much always totally forgot what it was. Mm -hmm. We might have just started with like, okay, let's start on F sharp. Um, but I, th I think what was cool about the uh, the motifs was that we weren't necessarily trying to compose with them. They were just uh um there were just all these kind of folders or like drawers or on the shelves that we could just pull out at any moment and and robert and i knew enough of them and um there was there was so much freedom in the projects that's that's what was just so awesome was that there was um i don't know what it was like for robert if he felt it seemed like he must have felt more freedom that it wasn't king crimson especially since really the first, oh, now I remember, really the first one was Project Two. Yeah. We had played we had played that and then recorded that record. And then the, the first live one was Project One. So in Project Two, we worked out a lot of the motifs, now I'm remembering. And, and of course, Adrian's playing the V drums for the first time. So there's not any, the communication of the motifs was just between Robert and I, and Adrian was just rocking out. So it was, um, and Robert was just being so silly with the motifs and the, the sounds and the names that it was like, wow, there's really no, um, not only do we not have to be serious, but there's just this freedom to play. And I think that was the big, that was the big leap for me. And, and I, 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 I've heard Robert express it a few times before. It's like the melody, I'm, I'm playing this thing and I'm just going to let the melody go wherever it goes. Even if where you're taking the melody at the same time is going totally in a different direction. I'm going to, we're, 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 we're like the fact that we're committed to going with the melody is what's making it work. You know, like we're going to come together on the other end because we, 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 and, and this wasn't ever articulated between uh, us or, or, or anybody else, but it was just kind of the sense of like, if you, don't try to fit in or don't try to make anything. Just follow the melody you're on your own. Follow the melody that you're on 
and everything's going to be okay. And so it just went totally abstract and also totally inside and sometimes silly and sometimes um, dissonant and sometimes not. And, and it was just kind of a, 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 a real trust. And, and uh, for me, I finally had space to play because there really was not a lot of space to play in, this, in a six piece. Yeah. And in, in the earlier days, I don't think it's any secret that I was often sometimes questionably whether I was even in the mix or not in the live mm -hmm. shows. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. But with the projects, there was, there was room. I have a hard time. I have a hard time playing when I don't feel like there's sonic room. And I even had some of that. I even had trouble with that in the early days of the four piece where Pat's sound was so enormous on stage and the room had such a low end rumble that I felt like, why am I even here? That they're that mm -hmm. like I can play the pieces in E, but I can play an E flat, and it doesn't sound any different at all. There's no difference. It's just this awful rumbling down there. So why should there even be a bass note down there? Um, and then <laughs> you're—I know you're laughing, but you understand what I mean. It's I, I know. Ex I know exactly what you mean. However, like I have um, developed a different perspective over the years on this, right? It was it was still the nineties. The technology and like, yeah, we didn't have venues. any. Yeah, the venues and everything. Like I remember playing one show with the Orpa String Choir in Italy on a wooden stage, and I tell you, I couldn't hear any of the notes I was playing. The stage was rattling, and it was just like random overtones that I was hearing and or that I was feeling. Right, and after that show, I realized, Marcus, you know, you should never rely on hearing yourself just know what you're supposed to play and play it right in the first place and that right. was that was sort of like an important moment for me obviously i would have liked to hear myself but like it was really like that was one of the moments where i sort of turned professional where i realized okay i can't I can't rely on anything here other than on myself and and that's when i learned the parts properly I'm not saying that you didn't learn your parts. Yeah, no, no, no. But, but I, but I, but um, you know, the thing with uh, the projects because we were still in there. I mean, until we got in ears, it was really there. Yeah. There was a degree of of um, because we're working with such volume. It's really mm -hmm. the volume, um, and the fact that everything goes through the PA. So there's no sound has no localization, right? Mm -hmm. not the drums there and the guitar here and, and um, because of that and the volume you can't you can't really play without in-ears you can't you're just for me you're just I, I'm just I realized when I got to in-ears that I had just been pushing buttons all this time and there wasn't really any articulation it was just mm -hmm. make the right note come out at the right time that's it volume phrasing None of that was relevant until I got the engineers. Uh, but with the projects, there were a few nights where it was like that, except fuck it. I'm in E flat. That's where I feel like playing. Uh, Tony's in E. You know what? It's kind of cool that we're both on a, you know, <laughs> I, you know, because there was a freedom there. Uh, obviously, you couldn't do that in more composed pieces. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And really, it was a relatively short time. Um, was I think project one? I was there. I think I mentioned that in the last week already. But um, it was November or something, ninety-seven, I think, or December even. And um, then 
98, you guys must have been touring mostly with Project 2 and probably also some of the Project 3 and 4. Yeah, I mean, yes. by 99, that was the end. Were there any more shows, project shows in 99? Uh, there, there might have been some Project 3 shows. Or, or Well, I think the last ones were Project 4, so I really can't remember. But if there were, they were early in the year, because I think we started recording uh, the Construction of Light um, in the fall of 99. I know Adrian, Adrian did the last vocal on, on New Year's Eve. So, okay, so it, it was only it two years. Been, it could have been it, basically two years, basically two years. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. And yeah. as I said, I think it, it was extremely uh, influential, that music. Um, and f funnily enough, uh, for, you know, the construction of light in, in a way, even though I still think it's, it's a great, well, probably not a great record, but great material. Um, the, um, it, I was surprised that um, it didn't really pick up on much of the things that were were developed by the projects. Like obviously, there were some some no, themes, it went into motifs were there, and but but it was a it was it was it was it was, uh, it, was it, it was compositions. It wasn't this. Let's just go for it. Yeah, thing, you know, and and yeah. for me, that was the spirit of the projects. You know, of course, we had lots of crazy sounds and. Um, uh, there was a lot of freedom, and Robert was playing his fretless bass sound, so anybody could solo, you know, I could solo, and we could go back and forth, and you could have no bass, you could have no drums, you could have all drums, you know, you could do you could do anything, but for me, the, the spirit, and, and we had all these motifs to play with, but the spirit of it really was, for me, it's like, um, the, the model for me was like late Coltrane, as if they were aliens. Mm -hmm. and and the sense of like we're 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 just searching in the music and it doesn't matter where it goes it's just going to go somewhere and um you know for 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 free improv and i would say it's probably you know five to seven percent not free because there were motifs yeah. not project one project one was a little different but um uh for that level of freedom, it was a really high percentage of hitting the mark, mostly free improv. You, 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 if you've done any of it at all, you know, half of it's shit, you know, yeah. and, and even the audience, hopefully the good audience knows that half of it's not going to be good. 30% is going to be okay. You know, 10% is going to be pretty good. And then like, there'll be 10% of awesomeness that will cover up and make the difference. Uh, but we, we hit, we hit pretty high. You know the, the the traditional free improv, um, where the idea is that you kind of like never repeat yourself, right? Mm. So the, the music that you know like started mm. in the late fifties, um, and and then um, I think what happened, and I you know I don't know I, I'm sure there are plenty of examples, but kind of like what the projects did was also allow for the fact that you can also improvise the form rather mm -hmm. than just the notes right so right. and and i think that's sort of like what what made the difference that's mm -hmm. why something like themes uh themes in terms of shapes or you know like overall shapes of the of the pieces or the sounds that you use and 
and the, the sort of like signals you react to and right. like it's it's almost right. like you're, you're building like a, a a sound culture let's say in a way yeah. together yeah. right and yeah and, and i think that is that is really has in general has been sort of like a, a real liberation for me because i'm like actually i i come like my first the first thing i did as a where i knew i was going to be a musician that was free improv like with a with a free improvising orchestra actually, you know and and so then being allowed to, to combine free element with structure mm -hmm. that or that just just a structure that um, emerges rather than that is planned mm -hmm. that's that's sort of like that was was a wonderful thing for me right 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 yeah yeah and you know just two little anecdotes the 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 project one shows we played four nights, two sets a night, but you guys stayed. You stayed. It wasn't like separate audiences, right? You stayed for the two sets. I I, uh, I stayed for two sets for two. I was there for two nights and two uh, and four sets total. Yeah, but, but it wasn't. I can't, wasn't I, can't like I, I can't remember. I can't. It remember. wasn't like eight shows. I don't think. I think. I think you. I think you could stay for both. I mean, we knew that the audience was going to be there for the whole two two sets that night. Okay, okay. Um, and so, what was really interesting about that show is that we all went out. Everybody had all the their their ideas, not necessarily like their licks, but they had their sounds. I had made some sounds, and Bill had a xylophone. He asked asked me about you know are these good notes for for Robert's thing, and Tony had you know his stick and he, i think he brought his keyboard actually the first time i've seen his keyboard in a long time yeah and so we kind of all went out and we played and played and played and then year wasted afterwards much more than a regular performance mm -hmm. and then by the end of the, the the first set of the third night we went backstage and everyone had played everything they knew there wasn't like every idea that you would come with every sound you know we had done five sets total over the course of three days and there was we were just completely empty and then when we went out now it was actually pretty awesome because nobody had anything and and i think i i think that we even had some moments on stage where there wasn't anything happening because nobody really knew what to play and that that moment was when actually some really cool shit started to happen yeah. yeah, 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 and Bill, um, Bill had a had a little uh, little xylophone or something yeah. that he then. Holy <laughs> shit! That thing, that thing was fucking loud. Man, that was like ice picks. I, I, I think it was. I think it might have even been the xylophone like he used in the seventies. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, and the other interesting thing when you talk about the form and the freedom, um, for me the best example is. Um, uh, the piece, the deception of the thrush, because the form emerged as these big three different things that we always did, but with inside each of those, nothing was determined. Mm -hmm. But we knew we somehow came to some agreement that there there was this beginning section like this, and then Robert would solo, and Pat and I would. Sometimes we worked out a couple of things, but it was that I think we would just kind of communicate on stage to play very abstract stuff and play with him and then leave him hanging out mm -hmm. on the end with nothing. And then we'd come in and then the end was where I soloed and Robert had the big, beautiful chords. And that was it. It was just three, the, 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 the score is just three sections, but do, 
do what you know not whatever you want but for as long as you want you you know and um that's pretty that's pretty cool that's yeah. that's that's a good example and yeah and that's the tr the piece that you guys recorded for uh power to believe actually it's on that uh, record it, 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 so yes. it didn't it didn't didn't end up on construction of light but it was recorded like two or three years later um well is it actually on that record because we couldn't get it, i don't uh, think it's i don't think it's on the record pretty sure it's on the record <laughs> okay <laughs> i'm gonna look it up while we talk and and yes. I'll, I'll tell you why i'll tell you why i don't I, I i have some doubt about it the believe of power will that work uh, no it's gonna take me to uh um the issue we had was the voice samples that i was using yeah i don't think i don't think those are on the no record. it's not on the record it's on a lot of the live releases oh unless it's called the power to believe partners whatever part two I can't, I can't remember that, but I'm pretty sure it's on the record. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's well, like I'm a have, penult penultimate piece or something. I'm going to have to check it out. Uh, if that's the case, then we must have, uh, they couldn't get the, they couldn't get permission to use the samples mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that I was using. Uh, um, so maybe I better not say anything more about that. Uh, well, I think if we did, we, we did it without the voice that I play in the beginning or, or yeah, it's, it's, it's the power to believe part three deception of the thrush. It's on the record and it's, it's the, um, it's yeah, it's the penultimate track on the album. Interesting. Yeah. And, but, but here, maybe this, this will trigger. But it's only four, it's only four minutes long, so it must just be a piece of it. Yeah. Shows what I know. Okay. Um, Pat told me that there was some sort of um, cello part that Robert or I think Robert wanted to overdub on it. Something that was called the cello part. Do you remember any, anything about on, that? On that? On that piece? On that piece, yeah. I don't know anything about it. That doesn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I will have to ask Pat what, what that was about. You know that Pat remembers everything. He does remember everything. He does. <laughs> you better ask him before he gets too old. Yeah. Stops yeah. remembering. Yeah. Hey, so um, um, construction of light was recorded at Adrian's mm -hmm. and on ADAT still, right? As on ADAT, yeah. 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 Ken Ken recorded it, and then uh, Pat uh, Nick. They mixed it somewhere in, in Nashville. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was um, recorded before you guys toured, correct? Yeah, I believe it's the only Crimson record that was ever made before the, sh the pieces were played live. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, who knows if that would have, I mean, it probably would have improved something, but who knows how much it would have changed things. Yeah, in in a way, um, the pieces on that record are also um, how shall I say this? Kind of like um, 
so so dense in information that they um, are. It's quite different from any other Crimson album. Mm. It's really it's really uh, pretty special in the canon of of, of releases and. Uh, and I, I mean, I only saw you guys play. Um, well, I don't actually. I have to say, it, I, I can't really. I don't really remember. I think I saw you guys um, play that material maybe in two thousand or two thousand one mm-hmm. uh, on a German. Two thousand was it? Two thousand. I saw two shows, and um, it was pretty, uh, pretty amazing that you guys pulled that material off. Um, on stage, especially fra- fractured and uh, yeah, some of that stuff was really and and locks four right like <laughs> yeah that one you know that one um, that one was pretty playable and we played we played that one um, uh, you know with the ADATs you still you couldn't you couldn't edit really mm-hmm. uh, but I, I seem to remember locks four we we just played it. You know, and that would be the recording. Some of the other ones we kind of had to fracture. We had to piece together a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Fractured. We had to piece together a little bit. And and I don't remember what else was on the record. That's that. Uh, is electric on that record? Or no, that's no. the next record. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. So there was a long. It was a long. It felt like a long uh, writing period. Mm-hmm. Um, leading up to that and and uh, i suppose it was probably because we'd come out of this free projects thing and now you've got to make a whole shitload of decisions whereas before you would just you would just follow it along on stage um you know so the it felt like the writing was um and the power to believe too had a little bit of that too but the the writing was really involved and then yeah, and because Pat was um, trying to wrestle with using electronic drums and then also setting up a studio uh, out in Adrian's garage to record drums, it was kind of a, it was, and, and we're in Adrian's house, it was kind of a mixed up, uh, mixed bag of putting stuff together and then seeing what we ended up with. Um, yeah. yeah. And we might have even thrown out a couple of tunes in that, which, um, I wouldn't say that's unusual for Crimson, but um, usually there's not, it usually feels like there's not enough material. But that one, I felt like maybe we 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 abandoned a, a few ideas. Uh, Interesting. I, I I don't know anything about that. I um, before uh, Don gone uh, mixed the new version of the album a couple of years ago. Uh, Pat had uh, given me the multi tracks also to to fix them up and do some mixes. And so that I, that's why I know that some of the pieces had were longer. Like uh, there were yeah, sections, they got sections cut, cut out. Yeah. And that would have been, that would have been on the two track. That would have been on the mixes, I bet. Probably. Yeah, exactly. And that's why the, the multi-tracks didn't have those edits. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but it's, it's, um, I think it's always fascinating to see, like, especially with that, with that record, with that complex material and and like this this technically challenging stuff that Robert um, was playing there is uh, is pretty pretty outstanding, really. Like, like the restriction that Pat had to just mainly use electronic sounds that was probably not not a great idea, let's say. But um, 
but you know, like Pat, you know, he made it. But he did such an awesome job of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like, like Pat is, um, you know, he always finds the musical solution, right? Right. Right. And, and, and you know, I, for us, I think, um, unlike everyone else, for us, the record was just a means to have the material to go out and play live. Yeah. You know, the record really was just a document of the writing session to get ready to go out and get play live as opposed to the other way where you play live and now we're just going to capture a performance of it and then that's the record hey so um do you remember oyster soup uh yeah yeah okay so um let me ask you that's that that's that record right yeah it's that record yeah, okay. And, okay. and it's 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 I, I like that track a lot like because it it has like both chaos and like this in, intense compositional <laughs> framework it's and very organized chaos yes Yes, but I, what I would like to understand, and maybe you can give me an answer on that, is like um, because it's like these overlapping um, time signatures, right? Uh, and you have like Robert doing four four, and you doing eleven, and Pat doing I don't know thirteen, or I can't remember now, but something like that. And and Adrian then playing his the, his riff and singing like yeah incredible yeah. like really incredible yeah. do you remember how you guys kept track of like when the chorus yeah. came and stuff yeah so um i suppose this is a little bit more of a confession that track okay so there's tracks like there's pieces like the construction of light that have um all these various layered rhythms and we pat and i i mean pr pretty much the guitar players didn't bend a 16th note at all they would just they'd get their parts and they were yeah. fixed yeah. and they would work other things so then it was up to pat and i to to be a little more malleable and find something so like in construction of light we you know we played and we rocked it but then we had to do a fair bit of math uh to make our phrases come out right and when once we found the thing that worked that's pretty much what we played um, part, parts of the end of the construction of light and the song part, um, eventually I, I settled on a part that Pat and I would play together, but sometimes we would, um, we would do like an audible on stage and do a couple of extra hits here and there, but we knew, we knew where the change was and we knew how to get to the change with the construction of light. I don't really know what anybody else was thinking. Um, for me, it was like i'm playing an 11 and a lot of the times i think pat is playing an 11 with me um the other guitar players are not but adrian's part is fixed so i'm just going to play an 11 and i'm going to listen to him as best as i can and when he makes a change i'm just going to jump with him <laughs> and you know because of that it meant that and 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 and, and it evolved the more we played it live the more those things kind of sorted themselves out Mm -hmm. uh, but earlier on, because I was, because I was kind of winging it, um, you know, there were only certain, certain spots where I really needed to be right with him. Um, you know, if I added two extra beats, it didn't really matter. Or if I played in seven for a couple of bars and then went back to the 11, you know, and then Pat's looking at me and we're, we're having a little fun together as long as you got to the chorus right um everything is going to be okay 
Um, you know, and then then later on, the more we played it live, I was working up more different kinds of 11s and Pat was working up more different kinds of 11s. And certainly um, there are things like in Robert's uh, piano, the spider finger solos and in, in, in oyster soup. I think Adrian was the one who would cue us out and nobody knew when that was going to happen or what mm -hmm. beat it would be on. And even Robert wouldn't even know. So it's kind of this, um, it's just this, this big bowl of soup of stuff. And then, yeah. you know, then we're just going to, we're just going to cop the riff when it comes. So yeah, that one was not ever organized really. Yeah. Awesome. You know? Yeah. I, and it felt like, it felt like that was okay for that one, you know, because of, um, you know, this super tightly controlled clockwork thing. I think if you had to listen to a whole night of that, even I just, it's too much. It's mm -hmm. just too much. So there's like kind of how, how I look at things. Um, you have all these parameters and you can dial them, you know, like how abstract the tonality is or how much of a drone or how much melody, how much polyrhythm, how much vocal, how much, you know, and this is the, the, the Swiss clockwork versus you're just throwing the cake on the floor and picking up the pieces. It's more on that side. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, again, I think it's, it's a very, um, um, I, I don't want to say revolutionary, but sort of in rock music, like pretty special, uh, mm -hmm. really, really nice track. And, and you'd have to have, you, you, you need to know your players. You, you need to play together a while, you know, um, as yeah, you know, stick men, you know, there's like stuff you guys can do that you, you couldn't just get together with new people and, and just pull yeah. that shit off. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it is definitely the, the listening that you, like you learn to listen to the others, right? Mm -hmm. This is, that's kind of like the learning curve is like, how do those guys play? How do they react if I do X, right? And how do they react if I do Y and, mm -hmm. and, and that kind of um um equation let's say right is is sort of what what you can own you can only learn to solve it when you actually play together yeah 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 and you know that's reminding me of uh the show that i did i i, I was a little bit for time jumping around but uh yeah. relevant um i was involved in this project with um eddie jobs and ukz with alex makachek and uh, marco minimum and we played a few shows, uh, not much, but we played a few shows and we played, um, uh, there was some new material that we played, but then we, we played also some of the old UKZ stuff, um, which was really challenging for me compared to the Crimson stuff. It really was, uh, I wouldn't say it's harder. It's just the, 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 the kind of rock solidness of the, the Crimson stuff is like always sitting on top of this thing, whereas the UKZ yeah. often had these very, um, really obliquely uh, asymmetrical rhythmic stuff that I, I really had a hard time with. And, and uh, but Marco helped me out. Anyway, we played a few shows. I got it down really pretty good. And then uh, there was a break and Eddie did uh, organize another tour where Marco and Simon Phillips were both going to be on the stage drumming. And um, I came in pretty near the last minute of the rehearsals, but it was all, all the same material that I played, 
but now some of the pieces Marco was going to play and other pieces Simon was going to play. And I had never met Simon before. I'd known him and a big fan. Um, and he's a great drummer. And here's the weird, here was the weird thing. We played um, one of these older uh, UKZ pieces. I don't know if it was Caesar Palace Blues or whatever it was. And now Simon's playing it instead of Marco. Super adept, super great time, great feel. And holy shit, I was not, I really had a hard time at first g- getting in sync with Simon. And I realized that it wasn't, um, it wasn't about our playing at all. It was that we're actually, we're actually um, making all these micro agreements between ourselves about when and how things happen without discussion. And Marco and I had already had the conversation like 10 times. And now I was just having it the first time with Simon. And it was like, holy shit, there's all these little turns of phrases at the ends of things where we haven't had the conversation yet. And now we have to have the conversation and we're not quite, there's no right or wrong. It's just like, there's all these little micro decisions that get made. And um, it was striking how hard it was to, uh, um, or just to see like, oh, it's actually not as tight as Marco and I, because we just have to, we have to go through this little process where, you know, a lot of, cla- when, when, when you're playing classical music, like a string quartet, I think you pre-talk through some of that stuff or the, 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 the lead violinist is, you know, uh, cueing. And, and with rock music, it's very, um, you just do it by osmosis. And so I think I, I just assumed a drummer's greatest Simon, he would just slot in and it would be fine. But no, there's all these little timing, little things that sometimes I had to move. Sometimes he had to move. And um, yeah, amazing. You know, I've, I've this little theory um, coming from the point of, of music production, as you know, like recording, we tend to nowadays kind of like, Want everything to be on the grid, right? And and so what I've what I've learned over the years is that really there even if like you have two players, two drummers, and you quantize their playing to be be on the grid, it will still not sound as if they play at the same time, mm-hmm. because the way that the that the the transient, the mm-hmm. attack of each note is different. Right, it's such, it's such a such a like like a milli or even microsecond kind of level of 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 change and difference. Like even if you move everything in the same place, the way that the note blooms mm. is different from Tony to Trey to Simon mm. to Marco. Right, it's mm. it's a different kind of blooming. And mm. like if you know, you know, and I think that's you know because I've I've altered, you know it's like if you play with a click, you play like um, drummer and bass player play to a click but you will still get this kind of variance in 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 how does the player you could say interpret the attack of the of the note ver, you know they, you can you will still be in time you will still be with a click with a grid but like do, does the note go or does it go eh? right yeah. it's like it's and and I, I really love this these subtleties. This is kind of like really the magic magic of music. And well, and when you play with somebody over time, that I I I'm I guess what we're saying is you start to you start to become more one on those those elements. 
yeah, you sort of, I guess you sort of kind of like develop uh, an idea for the average, right? Somehow, like where, where do we meet? How does, where does my whoop meet with your whoop, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's that's yeah. that's how I how I think about it these days because like when people talk about like playing before and behind the beat and stuff like that I think yeah it's not it's not bullshit I don't wouldn't say it's bullshit but but I think it really has to do with how you kind of like how you go into the note you know it's it's something that is is represented in the timbre as much as in the time mm, mm, mm. yeah cool I mean, tell tell that tell that you know tell this to a beginner, you know, this thing, these kind of thoughts. <laughs> they, they, they might become terrified. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, I really don't quite understand, remember, or get how things went between the construction of light and the power to believe. Yeah, you guys did the tour with Tool. Um, and when when was the material for how um, to believe written? When was level five written for example? Do you remember? It was the basement of Belu. I know that because Pat. Yeah, was that. was uh, was the tool tour after the record? No, it was before. But was it after the record was made? No, I think it was before. No. Okay, it was, it was before. before. And I I only remember level five and. Uh, well, we had the piece. We had the piece level five for the for the tool tour. For the tool tour, and uh, you guys had two more pieces, I think, uh, already on that tour, which was like the 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 uh, Virtuous Circle. Had, yeah, and, and we had electric, although we didn't always play it with tool. And there, there was one more piece. Uh, was it a song? With happy? Was it happy to be happy with? I don't think so. Um, Well, let me let me have a look because this this is this is kind of um, a dangerous curves was dangerous one. curves yeah. yeah and we also might have had eyes wide open even we 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 might have had most of the uh, much of the the tunes but so, uh, so do do you think that uh, maybe because you said that some material may have been uh, you know not used for the construction of light do you remember if there was anything recorded for the construction of light that then made its way onto the project. I would say it, it's hard for me to remember all these larks tongues. And um, I feel like we were, I feel like there was some stuff in the piece level five that was around during the construction of light that didn't make it in larks four. Um, uh, I feel like we were trying, you know, the, the, the way some of these pieces were depending on the piece, but let's say the instrumental ones, we would juggle all these elements and, um, you know, each day we'd, we'd come up with some arrangement and maybe a new part would come in and we'd try it. And then we, it would be obvious that, oh, this doesn't belong, or you just had to try a lot of stuff. Um, and I, I, I can't remember what of level five we were trying to fit in with Lark's four, but I, I, I feel like some of it, not the main riff, you know, I feel like the main riff of level five, I feel like that came maybe even specifically, but certainly um, intuitively of Robert um, 
getting a sense of what would work at a tool show. You know, how do we, how do we um, strip back the crimson fiddliness and make a power um, thing that had, uh, um, that could, that could, like you say, blossom in a large venue. You know, you can't, there's just a lot of stuff that is not going to work in a large venue. And and with Tool, we didn't end up playing these super large venues, but um, mm-hmm. but it was still this sense of, of that. So that that main riff may have not even appeared until we were it was looking like we were going to be working with Tool. I can't really remember. But there were the, the fast bits, the fast bits in level five, I feel like we had been working with those, but you you I don't know. You, don't you know, I, I have a I have a little bit of a theory. <laughs> um, first Let's of all, it. I, I, I think right. that I, I think that the uh, ascending bits in level five they sound like variations of the of the motifs that from you guys from? used from the no, from the no from the um, from the projects. Oh yeah, it, you're right. It, I think, no, I think right. that's what I think that's what those are. But then yeah. and now this is something that. Um, you may not remember, but maybe I said it uh, last week to you. Um, when you showed me the baseline to the construction of light, you called it Lark 6. So okay. now, whatever, because there was Lark uh, 4, Lark 6, and that's why I believe that level 5 was yeah. already being worked on at that time. Yeah, you're probably right. And you know what's interesting? I, I, I remember doing this, but I recently found the tapes of when. Um, Post Thrack, I was living in New Mexico. Tony, he might have even been on his motorcycle, came through New Mexico, and we we jammed, we we played together for a couple of a day or two. And I was showing him the um, that construction of right light light riff, and we were trying to play it in harmony. But that also time uh, we started experimenting with the two instruments detuned quarter tone mm. yeah <laughs> man that is a sound that is a sound that hasn't made it on record <laughs> uh yeah you're right i remember i remember uh kind of a level six i'm uh, sorry thrax six or yeah. lark's lark six that didn't and, last and yeah. do you remember intergalactic boogie express i do yeah i sort of i sort of feel that like that that leap part there is sort of like maybe the same fingering that is the well that's that is in that is in the in, in thrack in the in the 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 real world version of yeah the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah yes yeah. yes but i think it's also related to um to the ascending parts in, in level five well and also to me that's and and i i'd have to refresh my memory exactly but i feel like it's very akin to a few things in vroom vroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, as as you know, I've I've been playing level five with Stickman for a few years. Oh, and it's, well, then you know it better than me at this point. It's just a just a one wonderful piece, really, really great. Yeah. Um. So, um, do you? Do you feel like sharing uh, how Crimson ended for you? Um, probably not. 
Look, you know, I, I remember you, you guys really still try. <laughs> well, well, I, you know, I, with you, we've already talked about this a couple of times. So, um, um, oh, I just, uh, I saw you guys in uh, 2003 on that last tour that you guys yeah. did. It was already, it was already done. Yeah. 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 But like, obviously like the audience, like didn't know, we didn't know. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, I mean, it's not, I, I would say like, to me, it's not even that interesting. Why? No, it at this ended, point, it's, it's not, it's not really interesting. No. Uh, it just, um, kind of where Robert wanted to go. It just didn't make sense for me and i yeah 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 and um i mean there were like a couple things that pat also told me about you know the production process of the power to believe where um it was kind of becoming clear that like the the taste or like the vision kind of like was drifting apart a little bit and uh um, but you know what is more interesting to me is um you were in, you were like 42, 43, right? Uh, exactly. Yeah. 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 Which, which is that it's like that. Uh, it's a pretty pivotal, it's a pretty pivotal point. And, and that was, for, I think that was for me when, I, when, when everything kind of blew up or fell apart or whatever, uh, in its funny way that um, I had been putting so much, uh, I mean, that was this, this thing being there in Crimson, uh, not just being in it, but being in it at the level that I was able to, uh, um, it was such a, uh, it's kind of, it was what I had wanted all along. And, and then suddenly I realized, well, I've already, I, I, I've done that. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, I never, I never actually saw my life beyond the age of 40, beyond the year 2000. Mm -hmm. And suddenly here we were at like 2001, 2002. And um, I had kind of, in a way, realized all of the musical aims that I had. And what am I going to just keep doing it? And when it's, uh, um, it, it's a pretty constrained creative atmosphere, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, which is uh, its strength, but also um, everybody's. Uh, every, I think every. I think everybody would agree. Everyone, including Robert, is quite a quite uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I was. Uh, I was kind of shocked when that, that that I wasn't standing on that rug anymore. But then, I was like, well, hey, what? Why? Why keep standing? What are you going to do to stand on that same rug for the rest of your life? It. it it was never um, it was never my creation in the first place anyway mm -hmm. you know yeah. I just I just joined the club for a while yeah yeah, yeah I, I remember um, that back then I at first I didn't well obviously I didn't understand also I, I didn't really didn't really care it, but I was sort of like let's say concerned for you in a way uh, I don't even know Me why. too. I was. Yeah, I know. I know that you were. But, 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 you know, the funny thing is, like when I turned forty-two, um, I experienced like the biggest burnout of my life. You know, it was, it was two thousand fourteen. It was, uh, it was seven years ago. So now I'm entering like a new cycle, right? But that yeah. was. 
that was really um, um, at that point that I understood kind of like like I don't know like you were not in the exact place that I was, but there's something about no, there's something about that time. You know, yes. it's 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 like uh, um, it's kind of like uh, well, it's destructive and creative at the same time. Like yeah. something gets thrown away and. There's also uh, a new possibilities or something, and, and and I don't know. It's, it's funny. It's, it's probably universal. It's probably universal to a degree. I, I I had the exact same feeling that I had kind of like uh, anything that I could ever imag have imagined. I I did it. You know, mm. I had done it, mm. and uh, and it was it was like a really good feeling in a way. It was like. Um, sort of uh, my life is over, right? Or the first part of my life is over. But then once you realize that that part is over and you look into the future, or even you look into the present, if something like that is possible, like you realize that, oh, like I'm kind of like standing in the dark. Like there's like there's not even the faintest light somewhere. Like, mm -hmm. and, and um, was it a little bit like that for you as well? Yeah, I mean the 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 trick was, I mean, one of the difficulties is you're so identified with your this thing that you've built, and now it's not there anymore. You know, I mean, in a way, that's just like kind of what you hear artists all the time say. You know, that, that they were this thing, and, and uh, but I, I really feel like um, in a certain way, you can't you. you, you I don't like to use the word master. I think it's totally overused and misused, but you can't really master something if you need it. When you can walk away from it, there's some a whole other level comes, I think. And pretty much I was sitting there walking away from being a musician entirely. You know, forget um, uh, being a member of King Crimson or within this family, which you're walking away from. And that's... Uh, that's a pretty big deal, but you know, your identity as a musician that you've been building for decades. Now it's, it's not there anymore. So what if you're, what if you're not that, what does that mean? You know, mm -hmm. and actually I, I, I'm looking at that right now, but in a different way and it doesn't, <laughs> it's a different, it's different now being 60 instead of 42, but 42, you know, you're still, I don't know. I, I don't think we're getting off topic here, but I feel like the thirties, is such a hard time because you're so so much trying to fit into the world mm -hmm. and when i turned 40 maybe even more at 50 but it's like fuck the world the world doesn't know shit and uh, stop trying to fit in which you know as as artists we think we're always like that but it's oh, not yeah. true you're trying to figure out you know, if you're trying to be successful in any way, even just capacity, but nonetheless um, financial or on the on the the in the medium, you're fitting. You're trying to find a way to fit in. You know, and it's it's the opposite of that's the opposite of creative action. <laughs> so it it's 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 a, it's very challenging to have all that crack open. You know, I I also think that there is um, at around that age, 42, 43, what happens is that you're sort of like old enough for the younger people 
for the 20 somethings even to, to be actually uh, um, uh, a person of uh, can't find the word right now uh, respect or authority mm -hmm. right like when as, when you're still like if say like the 38 year old Tregan probably look very much like the 23 year old uh, Tregan right like you see but then something happens where you go gray or bold or, or you have a beard or whatever or you need glasses or like 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 something happens where people see something else in you like physically like the way that you look and also you have built kind of like a discography or like a history of being active as a musician where people oh. have have a certain kind of respect and oh. and with that respect a little bit of the skepticism goes oh. um and and which means that in turn for you as a person then realizing that people are accepting you for who you are and they don't they are not as skeptical anymore mm. and, and at least i mean that's what i experienced right you're not you're not having to prove yourself with every note that you play yeah and and i think that's that's um and that's great but you also it's also something you have got to come to terms with somehow like you've got to learn how to uh how to deal with that new situation where, where basically you don't need to prove anything anymore. And, and like what was interesting, and, and I'm not exactly sure if I got the time uh, uh, line right here, but you, you kept playing with, with Pat and was the two thing and the K2 thing that happened. And um, uh, yeah, some of that kept going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like at first I remember that was that, what was it, Thunderbirds? like that that session yeah that you guys that, put that, out yeah yeah i mean the whole the whole project the the two project with pat pretty much was born out of the fact that our guitar players robert and adrian really didn't want to work after 6 p.m mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like okay you guys go off to dinner and and uh we're gonna we're just gonna keep working yeah mm -hmm. yeah i mean the 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 big thing, and I don't know how far, uh, I don't know how far we go today, but um, for me, the big change was the Quodia project where Joe and I decided to work together and, and really just close the door on the whole idea of a rock band. And um, that, that went with that time period that, that only, that only came possible because Crimson was gone. And even my solo band, the Trey Gun Band, we were still playing shows around there. Even that was like, uh, even that doesn't feel right anymore, you know. So that's kind of the two and the K two stuff were were. Um, um, well, there, I was going to say it's probably not like Stickman because you guys are a little more um, active and involved. But those were like those felt more like little military strikes. Like we didn't really ever rehearse. Mm -hmm. we would just get a show and we would just go in and you know smart bomb poland and then come out and then that that was the end of the project for the for six months or eight months or a year and and k2 was similar yeah 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 i i i know um so um if you feel if you feel okay about it let's let's stop here and continue <laughs> continue in a week or so uh, yeah just, let's just keep going till we uh that, that seems good because um um we could 
go more now, but it's it's kind of a lot to bite off, isn't it? As yeah, always. exactly. No, no, it's like like uh, eighty minutes. No, uh, hundred hundred minutes now already. So, um, you know, like I I do want to also touch on like the joy of molybdenum and mm. and, and the stuff. Um, uh, you reported with Bill, Bill Rieflin and Robert and um, yeah, like that was that. The, that was the first project. We didn't really talk on that, but yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Um, but then I, you know, and that's why I think it's really it would be great if we could talk again because I'm really interested because now I think it really only gets interesting with you living leaving Crimson and like seeing how things kind of went for you and I, and I, I'm still um, you know I'm, I'm doing these 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 uh, interviews or like this these these talks with people I'm starting to realize how, how interested I'm in in biographies right 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 because they're basically well, stories aren't they yeah they're stories but it's also for me like I I don't know I always have this urge that I want to learn right it's, it's, maybe it's stupid right but like I'm just interested in hearing stories so that I can be prepared. And you know, like even when I when I was like uh, 18, you know, I had I had friends who were like 10, 20 years older than I was, and and I I felt those relationships to be always very very important to me because like when. You know, like you don't, you know, like not not many people really feel like sharing their life experience, and like many people probably don't know how. Um, but I think it's extremely valuable to get. Well, or uh, people don't really ask the right questions and listen. Probably, probably, probably. yeah. But I I remember that I, I know quite a few very uh, wise people who, um, you know. Yeah, maybe I didn't ask the right question. Probably, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So let's do that. Let's let's meet again. And um, I still need to need to um, decide when I want to put these conversations out. You know, I was going for like a weekly thing with with my podcast, but I think I have I've recorded so many um, episodes that I'm I'm gonna go for like two per week or something. <laughs> right, right, right. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so um, have a great weekend. I will. I'm taking uh, I'm taking Julia to get her vaccination next Thursday. I've had mine now. Good. You know, I, I went. Uh, uh, I had. You know, here they have this priority thing, and and I actually got a letter that I can make an appointment. I still don't know why. Like I'm certainly not somebody who should be. Uh, getting it now but i said yes why not and then i made an appointment for for monday next monday and um turns out then then they canceled uh the use of the astrazeneca vaccine oh. here well oh, they so, want to use a different one but they don't have it so that's why my appointment got canceled and now it's it's i had to make a new one and it's going to be in june so it's going to be two months of waiting now Wow. But wow. I will get it. I know that I will get it now. So <laughs> yeah. it could change. You know, we, we changed here. Uh, um, they just lowered the age two days ago. And then I hear in two weeks, they're going to lower it to 18. Yeah. I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, hey, man. man.
Good to talk. Very good to talk. <laughs> See you soon. See ya. Okay. Bye. 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 Bye.